0: We are, um, this morning, gonna continue a series of messages that I started a couple of weeks ago uh, called Your 2024 Soundtrack. We're talking about, as we begin a new year, uh, what, are the, what are the things that, are, that our mind is focused on? What are we feeding into our soul and our spirit? How are we building ourselves? Because we understand that, uh, that inputs create outputs, that whatever we're feeding ourselves whatever we're concentrating on, it, it, it sets a course for us. And in the first week of this series, we talked, about, uh, we talked about great soundtracks. We even did a little experiment to see if you could recognize uh, various soundtracks that have been used in, in movies uh, and TV shows throughout time. You guys did an excellent job. And uh, that's because that's the nature of a great soundtrack. A great soundtrack is memorable, and it ties you uh, emotionally, it ties you to a story ties you to a place and a town, uh, a place and a time. Uh, in fact, some of you, um, some of you maybe who have lived a little longer, uh, you, when you hear an old song uh, that was perhaps a part of your teenage years or younger seasons of life, that hearing that song takes you, takes you right back to those moments of when you enjoy them. How many of you ever have songs like that, right? You hear a song and, and it, it takes you right back to a time that you had with friends or a moment in your life or a season of your life or no girlfriend or boyfriend? No, none, none of that. <laughs> right? I, seriously, uh, songs just make an impression on us because they they push they push past. Uh, our, our prefrontal cortex it pushes past that part of our brain that deals specifically with logic and reason and and it moves into our limbic system it moves into that emotional part of our being and and when our limbic system is fired and, and it is moving it, it it forces us past logic and reason and emotion oftentimes, is more powerful than logic and reason. And, and, and therefore, great storytellers understand that. People who create movies and, and TV shows, they understand that. And so they will use a great song as a way to move the story along. And, and in particular, a great, a great filmmaker, a great uh, person who makes movies or, or TV shows will often use a song... Um, to move us past that that part of our prefrontal cortex. Have you ever watched a movie and and you were so into the movie and it was so amazing and awesome, but then later when you thought about it, you realized, wait a minute, that didn't make sense. Like, how did they go from here to there? How did this happen? That defied logic, that defied reason, that defied physics, right? Uh, Any of you fans of sci-fi movies? Superhero movies, like they're just full of all of these examples that just defy logic and reason. But when you're in the movie and the suspenseful music is playing and and it's building this emotional response in you, you just your logic and reason goes out the window because you're moving along with the story, right? And you're just embracing all of these things that can't be true, but it doesn't matter because you're in the moment, you're in the story. And so Great theme songs, songs, the songs we sing to ourselves if we're not careful, uh, they will do that. They will do that in us. They will move us from a place of logic and reason and sound thought, and they will move us to a place where we're just embracing and accepting things because we're moving along in the story. And so, over the course of today, I want to talk uh, from the book of James um, because. The book of James, James chapter 1, James was writing, uh, in fact, you may not know this, James is is most likely the first book of the New Testament that was actually written. I know it's not in that order in your Bibles, but it was most likely the first one that was actually written. James uh, was the half-brother of Jesus, the half-biological brother of Jesus, was a leader in the church, and most likely was writing a letter to the earliest Christians who were in Jerusalem or had been dispersed from Jerusalem, he begins the letter by talking about the twelve tribes, and, and basically this is sort of a uh, this is sort of a grand picture in which. Uh, he was sort of tying together this prophetic narrative of the 12 tribes of Israel and he was sort of bringing it into alignment and, and, and almost as if stating that the church, the New Testament church that was emerging really was a representation of uh, God reforming these 12 tribes of Israel and, and by speaking to these people who had been dispersed, he was likening them to the 12 tribes. So it's, it's all of these really interesting pictures that are going on here. And as James is writing to the New Testament church, he's writing to a group of people who had formed as a community and then began to deal with all kinds of persecution. And so as a part of that persecution, they were being dispersed. And these were a group of people who, whose lives were in chaos. They had bought into a, a belief system about Jesus uh, that was supposed to bring life and strength and peace and power. And, and so they're, they're following Jesus, but what it has brought is persecution, and hardship and their entire worlds had been turned upside down. So that's, the, that's sort of the framework for this letter, the book of James. These people were living in chaos. The stories they told themselves, the songs they were singing, what they believed wasn't matching up with their reality. And so the, the letter from James to the church really was there to basically write to them and say, guys, guys, calm down. It's going to be okay. The world the world is chaos, but but you can make it. You can be strong. What you've come to believe is truth, is really truth and 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 so James was going to write a very practical, straightforward. So you know, Paul later on in Pauling letters, he goes and he builds all of this theology, and he he writes all of these really interesting arguments. James's letter isn't like that at all. There's not there's not really. He's just kind of straightforward. He's just kind of guys. This is the way it is. This is what you got to do. This is who you got to be. And really, James. The whole book of James can be wrapped up in James chapter one verse 22. Uh, James says this and. If you kind of want to look at you know, what sums up the book, it's this. James says, be you doers of the word and not hearers only. Because if you're just a hearer, you're deceiving yourselves. The, the New Testament church was living in a world of deception. Roman rule uh, was falling apart. They themselves were dealing with, are their spies within the church? They were being persecuted from uh, the, the, the Jewish community, but they were also being uh, persecuted from Roman rule. They didn't know who to trust. They didn't know if they could trust each other. You take somebody like Paul who came into the church. Think about this, guys. You, you have to understand this. When Paul became a believer and started pushing in to be a leader in the church, there were many people in the church who said, hey, we can't trust Paul because remember, Paul was someone who had persecuted the church. So they were, living, they were living in a world where they were like, we don't know who we can trust. We don't know who's speaking the truth. They had controversies within themselves because culturally, uh, th- there was cultural clashes as Jewish people were becoming believers. They were trying to import the law. But then you had Gentiles who were becoming believers who were like, hang on a second. We don't. So they didn't know who to trust or what to believe. So James is writing to them these people who were dealing with all kinds of controversy and were dealing with a world that socially and politically was upside down. And he was saying to them, listen, do not be deceived. And the first way that you cannot be deceived is self-deception. You can't allow yourself to deceive yourself. And I believe what James is writing them is the way that you overcome self-deception is that you have your mind secured on the word of God that you sing the songs that are true to yourself so that you're not focused on the wrong things, so that you're not listening to the wrong things, ultimately so that you are not distracted by the wrong things. So this morning we're gonna look in James, James chapter one, we're gonna do the first half of chapter one and look at what James had to say. James says in, in, in verse one, uh, excuse me, chapter one, verse uh, four, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You and I may read that and, and we may say to ourselves, oh yeah, okay, we have to persevere. But again, understand these are people who are running for their life. These are people who are having their homes taken away from them. These are people whose children are, are being kidnapped and killed, their wives are being killed, they're being hung upside down on crosses. I mean, these people who are under imminent threat for their lives. And James is writing to them that the, the, they were dealing with, uh, not only were they dealing with their own persecution, the economic world that they were living in was collapsing at the time. There was extreme poverty, poverty like none of us could ever even comprehend. And in all of that, James says, let perseverance finish its work in you so that you may be mature, mature and complete, not lacking anything. You may say, Pastor Andy. What, is, what does that have to do with me in 2024? What does that have to do with the songs that I sing in 2024? I'd submit to you today that in 2024, the new success, the, the new success, the new way to be successful, the way to make it in 2024 is to live in a place of certainty. What James was saying to those people was in all of the uncertainty of the world that you're living in, in your personal uncertainty, in the social uncertainty, in the political uncertainty, in the ideological uncertainty of the world that you're in right now, your strength, your hope, your peace comes from you living in a place of certainty. Pastor Andy, what does that have to do with me in 2024? This is what it has to do with you. The songs that you sing, the things that you cling on to, the things that you're repeating to yourself, the mantras that that inundate your home and your thought life and, and all of the things that you are ingesting in your life. I believe what James was saying to those people was cling on to things that are certain. And I believe the same is true to us today that we need to cling on to things that are certain, that we don't need to lean into the uncertainty because all of the uncertainty isn't going to stop. If... If you and I have learned anything in the last few years, it it should be this. The world is not going to become less chaotic. The world is not going to become less chaotic. Things are not going to get more simple. If you think that tomorrow we're going to wake up and all of the problems are going to be solved, friend, you're delusional. If you, if you think that tomorrow we're gonna wake up, that we're gonna wake up tomorrow and these things that we should not be confused about, all of a sudden tomorrow, we're not gonna be confused about them anymore. Friend, you're living in a place of self-deception. The world is not gonna become less chaotic. In 2024, I believe the world is going to become more chaotic. Did you know that over 50%, I think it's right at a little over 50% of the world's population in 2024 is going to have major elections. I think it's 64 countries are having major elections to determine their leaders in 2024. I don't, I don't know, I, I'm not a historian, but I don't know of another time in history where this much of the world at one time was voting and electing their leaders. Friend, if you know anything, you gotta know that in political seasons, the world's crazy. More of the world than ever, as far as I know, definitely in my lifetime, are voting for their leaders at one time. That. That's just one issue. You take all the other issues that are compounded. If you know anything about economics, if you know anything about global economics, if you know anything about technology, if you know anything about social trends, you gotta understand the world is just going to continue to stay in this place of chaos. Now, I've admitted to you before, I love to, uh, on my own personal time, I love to uh, entertain conspiracy theories. I think they're funny, uh, but you don't have to be a conspiracy theorist at all to understand scripture makes it very, very clear. There is a conspiracy. The enemy of your soul hates you and wants to destroy you, John chapter 10, verse 10. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. So you don't have to believe in any crazy conspiracy theory in the world. You don't have to believe in a global cabal. You don't have to believe in the deep state. You don't have to believe in any of that stuff and know and understand that we have an enemy of our soul who's trying to destroy us. And all you have to do is read scripture and know just a little bit of history to understand what does the enemy do to destroy us? He keeps us off center. He keeps us in a place of chaos. He keeps us in a place of emotional turmoil. Because if he can keep us in a place of uncertainty, if he, can keep us, if he can keep us out of our prefrontal cortex and if he can keep us in our limbic system, if he can keep us in our emotions, all we're doing is reacting. All we're doing is staying in that fight or flight state all the time, responding and reacting to everything. James is writing to people who were in a flight state and he was saying to them, calm down. That's a word of the Lord for some of us this morning. But I believe it's a word of the Lord for some of us. And it's not like, when James wrote to these people, it's not like, it's, please don't be offended because I'm as annoyed as anyone. It's not just not having electricity every once in a while. What these people were dealing with. It wasn't just not having water. It wasn't just sewer in the street like my street this week. It wasn't just that. These pe- you talk about existential threat. These people's lives every day, it's not to make light of what you and I were going through. It's just to help you to understand the context of the passage. The audacity of James to say this to these people is far greater than me saying it to you and I today. These people were literally under existential threat. And James says to them, calm down. Down and the way that, in fact, James says to them, You being calm, you being confident, you being sure is exactly how you're going to win in this situation. You being calm and confident and sure, you knowing your word, you knowing what you know to be true. And this, have you ever seen more of an attack on truth than ever? An attack on the idea that you can know anything. We all know nothing, right? Well, you can't know that to be true. That's the, that's the discord of the day is that you and I can't know anything. So if we can't know anything, how do we have any stability? What James is writing to these people and saying is that in spite of all of this, you can have stability. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. How do how do I allow perseverance? It means perseverance means that I stay in spite of my circumstance. That I don't move, that I don't move in spite of how I feel, that I don't react and respond regardless of what go, what's going on around me, that I stay. I believe that in 2024, our theme song, what we have to keep repeating to ourselves is stay. No matter what, I know what I believe. No matter what, I know this is true. No matter what, Jesus is beautiful. No matter what, God is good. No matter what, he is merciful. No matter what, he is just. No matter what, he is kind. I know these things to be true. So I'm gonna stay in that space. And anything that moves me out of that space, it's time, it's time to turn off that podcast. It's time to, it's time to whatever, whatever, whatever I've gotta to do to silence those voices in my life because I don't want things to move me out of the space of what I know to be true. James chapter 1, verse 12 says this, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised through those who love him. In other words, again, James is saying that there's something about staying power There's something about staying power that releases blessedness in our life. And again, blessedness for those people were not a Mercedes Benz. Blessedness to those people meant that my child wasn't gonna be abducted in the middle of the night and taken away from me. Blessed for those people wasn't a bigger house. Blessed for those people meant that I was not going to live under threat. And what James is saying to them is, listen, the one who perseveres The one who perseveres is gonna live in the stability of the kingdom regardless of their circumstance. The ability to objectively maintain perspective of one's place in the world produces stability. James chapter one teaches us the ability to objectively maintain perspective of one's place in the world produces stability. Pastor Randy, how do you know that? Well, I know that because James says this in verses nine through 11. He says, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. Wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. How do believers in humble circumstances take pride in their high position? But the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wildflower. Okay, okay, hang on. James is saying something to us. He's saying that regardless of your moment, whether you're on the mountaintop and you have the Mercedes in the big house, or if you're in the valley and you're living in the shack and you have no food, James is saying that's momentary. And someone who is mature, someone who is healthy, someone who is strong, someone who's going to be blessed in the kingdom understands that their moment is just that. It's a moment moment. They understand that these things will pass away like a wildflower for the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom fails and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. In other words, James is saying, listen, the the songs that we sing, the things that we tell ourselves, the theme songs of our life can't be about these temporal things that come and go. It can't, it can't be about my moment. It can't, it can't fixate on the fact that whatever my moment is defines me. James says, your moment doesn't define you. You're defined by the fact that you're in the kingdom. And because you're in the kingdom, regardless of what's going on in your moment, There is a brighter future. There is a a future manifestation of the kingdom in your life. And so if what you have right now is wonderful and great and good, you're going to walk in humility because you understand that that's not dependent upon you and it's not forever. And if your moment right now is terrible and difficult and hard, he's saying that you're not going to allow that to define you either because you've got a greater hope. You've got a brighter future. James says maturity. What Let me say it this way. What songs do mature people sing? What songs do mature Christians sing? What what sermons do we preach to ourselves? What things do we spend time thinking about? James seems to be saying that a mature and a healthy person, a mature and a healthy person has objectivity about themselves and their place in the world. And they don't become too haughty. They don't become too prideful. But they also, they also don't allow themselves to camp in a place of despair. Does that not mean that I should rejoice when I receive good things? No, absolutely not. Does it not mean that I shouldn't lament when I'm dealing with difficulty? Absolutely not. But James is saying, don't allow either one of those things to define you. A healthy person doesn't allow their moment to define them. They may sing songs about their despair or they may rejoice in their blessing, but all the while, whether you're in a good time or a bad time, you always know, you always have the perspective to understand, I am a child of God. Pastor Andy, how do I, how do I sing healthy songs in a world of chaos Well, the way I sing healthy songs in a way of chaos, the way I have a theme song in a season of chaos is that, again, I keep my eyes on Jesus and I declare truths about a kingdom that is transcendent. So my my political situation may fall apart in my world at this moment, but I understand that there's a kingdom that is transcendent of my current political situation. My party may not win this election, but I understand that there's a greater kingdom coming economics may not turn my way and and business may become difficult and 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 I may lose a lot of money on the stock market and 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 there are things that I I cannot control but there is a greater economy beyond this economy there are streets that are paved with gold god's word says A healthy person, a mature person sings songs about an economy that is transcendent of this economy. Does that not mean that I don't do my best? Absolutely do my best. Does it not mean that I'm not informed and I'm not a good businessman or a good steward of my resources? Absolutely not. James is not saying that. I've never said that. But a healthy, mature person who keeps their sanity in a chaotic world says that I'm a part of a kingdom that is greater than this kingdom. I'm a, I'm a part of a morality that is greater than this morality. I'm a part of something that is transcendent. James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15 says this. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does God, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires, and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. You may say, Pastor, I don't understand why you were telling us all that brain science stuff earlier. I don't know why you go off on that. It's because you gotta understand that, that physiologically, physiologically, you and I, you and I deal with an enemy who is out to destroy us. Some of you, you have, you have different ideologies. You have different politics. You have, you, have, you have different social perspectives on things. That's good. Go. Great. Understand that. Think about that. Deal, whatever. Ultimately, at the end of the day, wherever you are on the spectrum of all of these things, we have a common enemy. And that common enemy attacks us as human beings. And he understands the way that we are wired and the way that we work. And he's created a system. He's created a system to provoke and entice you and I to stay out of the place of stability that God would have us to be in. When James outlines the process of sin, it's so interesting to me because he outlines exactly what happens. No one goes from zero to crackhead, that's not the way that it works. I know if you, when I, I I grew up, I was a kid in the 80s in the United States and it was, uh, you know, everything was anti-drugs and it was like, here's your brain, here's your brain on drugs and it was a cracked egg. Did you guys get those commercials when y'all were, no, it was just us. I'll play it for you sometimes so you can see. I mean, that that stuff, it scared you. That's not how it works. You don't go from zero to crackhead. There's a process of addiction, right, that takes place, in anyone in this room who's ever been addicted to anyone, anything, and, and probably we should say every one of us in this room have been addicted to something, so we know. We know. We know it starts, and then it builds, and it builds, and it builds, and it builds. James is using this illustration about sin, but it's so fascinating because he's clearly writing to Christians. He's writing to Christians. He's writing to the church. He's writing to people who are fighting for Jesus and he outlines for them the process of sin. If you ever thought that, oh, when I become a Christian, then I don't have to worry about temptation anymore. I don't know what Bible you're reading. James writing to Christians says, hey, let me explain to you how this works because there is a process. There's a physiology that is involved in this. Here's what happens. Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Don't you think that the enemy of your soul knows what your triggers are? And he's going to do whatever he can do to push those buttons, to trigger you, whatever. And, and, and we get caught up we get caught up in that word, evil desire. And we get to this place where we think it's this big, terrible thing that is somebody else, that is something else. But James writing to Christians is helping them to understand that not being disciplined in the area of their mind Not being clear that God's word is God's word is God's word is God's word. That truth is truth is truth is truth. That's what James is saying happens when you and I are dragged away by our evil desire. Somehow James is connecting the temptation on your part and my part to not just accept God's word as truth to us starting down the path of evil being dragged away by our own evil desires. If I had time this morning, I would, I, would, I would lay that out for you exactly what that means because connected to evil desire and temptation and sin is all the way back to original sin where you and I decide that it's not enough that God is God, we've got to be God ourselves. Everything's always comes back to that and it connects to that. And James is saying, listen, this process that happens starts with this place where you, you ask this, the same question, the same question that the servant asked Eve, can I really trust God at his word? That moment that I cross that line and I say, can I trust God to be God? Is it what he said is good for me? Is it really good for me? If I do this, is that really good for me? If I don't do this, is that really good for me? Can I trust him with my peace? Can I trust him with my joy? And the moment we cross that line we go down that road we embrace the narrative that we can't trust God is the moment it starts we become enticed and we go down that road we start singing songs to ourselves that destabilizes the identity of God we start singing songs to ourselves that destabilizes our identity and when we start destabilizing our identity we have to start looking for handles that causes stability in our lives And then we start participating in things that we thought we would never participate in because we need need stability so desperately. Our limbic system is out of control and so now we're just looking for something to grab onto. And we sing these songs to ourselves. We repeat these messages to ourselves. We allow Instagram to just constantly, we allow TikTok to just feed us instability, instability, lack of trust, lack of trust, lack of hope, lack of peace, we just keep feeding the beast. And all of a sudden, we're doing things we said we would never do. We become a person we don't even know, dragged away by our evil desire enticed. Then after desires conceived, it gives birth to sin. And then sin, when it's full blown, blown full-grown, excuse me, gives birth to death. Destruction starts as a carefully. Crafted distraction. I believe that's part of the argument that James is making. James is saying to people in a chaotic world do not be distracted from God's truth. Do not be distracted from, I'm telling you in 2024, do not be distracted from God's truth. You have to know God's truth. You have to embody God's truth. You have to feed yourself God's truth. You have to stay in that place of meditating. That's why why the Bible says meditate on my word. Hide it in your heart so that you would not what? Sin against God. You have to stay in that place where you're feeding yourself, where you're singing songs because songs provoke emotions and emotions embed patterns in our lives. Some of us, I talked about my noise-canceling headphones a couple weeks ago. Some of us need to develop some noise-canceling headphones in our life. Some of us have stuff in our lives that we need to turn off and that we need to turn away from because it's provoking. It's provoking instability in us emotionally. Some of you, some of you, um, you battle anxiety. And my question to you is, is not... No, that's, I would never say, oh, that's not real, it's not valid. My question to you is, what are the things in your life that trigger that anxiety? And what are you doing to create boundaries so that you're not being triggered? Some of us battle anger. We battle it. And my question to you is, what are you doing to create boundaries in your life to keep you away from the things that provoke and initiate that anger in your life? What are what are you doing some of us some of us struggle the list could go on and on and on if i start if i start listing these things it could go on and on we we battle with things we struggle with things and all of those things are coping mechanisms that exist in our life because we struggle with insecurity. The insecurity starts with we're insecure about who God is, so we become insecure about who I am. And when I'm insecure about who I am, I've got to grab handles. When my limbic system is firing and it's out of control and my emotions are going everywhere and I'm all over the place, I'm just looking for stability. And so what do I do? I begin to sing songs to myself to numb me. I sing songs to myself to reinforce what I believe. I sing songs to myself that cause me to just move past the moment without logic, without reason, without truth. I just move past it to embrace and accept whatever reality the system, whatever reality the system is trying to reinforce in my life. And again, and I I joke and I have fun about this stuff, but what you believe about what you believe going on in the world, really, uh, really that doesn't matter. What we know to be true is that all of us, No matter who we are, no matter our race, no matter what our social political ideas are, no matter who we are, all of us have an enemy of our soul and he seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. And he has a strategy and that strategy is this. That strategy is this. Let me distract them for just a moment. And if I can distract them, I can lure them. And if I can lure them, I can cause them to violate their own conscience, create greater shame in their life, and therefore distance between them and God. And the further I can get them from God is the further I can get them from themselves because they were created in their image. And so when they violate him, they violate themselves. And when they violate themselves, they hate themselves and they hate him. And when they're full of hate, what exists? Death, destruction. The enemy wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy me in 2024. I'm not trying to be an alarmist. I'm not saying anything spectacular. We know the world is crazy. It's been crazy for the last several years. So I'm not, I'm not like prof- prophetically declaring something. This is just reality. We all know it. What are we going to do about it? I believe James is teaching us. God's word has been teaching his people from the earliest days of the church is this. Is in the storm, you can have an anchor. In the chaos... You can be strong. Where do I find it? How do I stay in that place? How do, How do I overcome sin? How do I overcome these things? It's simple. What is God saying? What are you gonna do about it? What is God saying? And what are you gonna, that's, that's what we say all the time here at North Place. That is our discipleship pathway. It's not fancy. It's not flashy. It's really simple. What is God saying? What is truth? And then what are you and I gonna do about it?